0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Haunted History Chronicles. For thousands of years, we've delved below the surface of the world to explore or seek shelter, hunt for valuable treasures that may be hidden in the shadows. They've also been used for thousands of years as places to leave marks and messages for future generations. Caves and mines may hold the riches we seek, but they can also be dangerous and unpredictable a place where the unknown lurks beneath the surface. Outside of natural caves, the most common reason to dig deep was to mine, giving us access to the Earth's deep hidden bounty. These locations gave up more than that though. They've become a focal point for stories and superstitions, and for a powerful message. Be careful how far you dig, because you don't know what you may find there. There are creatures in the folklore of mining cultures around the world. In South America, the mining towns are believed to be the home of spiritual beings known as El Tio, who are believed to rule over the mines, simultaneously offering protection and destruction. Statues of this devil-like spirit can be found within the mines themselves, and are places where miners bring offerings such as cigarettes and alcohol, believing that if El Tio is not fed, that he will take matters into his own hands. In England we have bluecaps, a mine spirit that usually appears as a small blue flame. In Cornwall we have the knockers, that stand at about two feet tall and resemble weathered old men dressed in the clothes of miners. Legends tell of how they would knock in parts of the mine to guide the humans to the biggest payload of material. In other stories they are spirits of the miners who lost their lives working in the mine. Their knocks were said to warn of impending danger. In Ireland you have the leprechaun, in Kent the clocker, and in some parts of England and Scotland, the brownie. Stories of knockers would travel to the United States with migrant miners and become known as Tommy knockers, and later used as inspiration by Stephen King in his book, The Tommyknocker. Working deep underground in mines was a perilous profession. Tragedy could lurk behind every corner, as did the supernatural. Tales of restless ghosts becoming attached to their workplaces, the flight of a lone bat or the wail of a stray cat, could all be mistaken for a sinister entity. One of the worst mining disasters to occur in Wales during the Victorian era was the Morfa Colliery disaster of 1890, where 89 people lost their lives in an explosion. This wasn't the first time that tragedy had struck the ill-fated Port Talbot Colliery. The coal mine became known as the Pit of Ghosts. Unexplained events had long been reported at the colliery, with sightings usually occurring just before the tragedies. As such, they were considered harbingers of impending doom, and many miners refused to work in the colliery before the appearance of strange sights and sounds. Two days after the disaster of 1890, One journalist recalled some of the workers' fears just days before the catastrophe. It said, Strange as it may appear, it is beyond a doubt that the belief has for a long time been entertained by the Morpher workmen that the pit was haunted. It's been said by reliable men that there were strange noises heard like thunder in a distance, and the slamming of air doors during the last week, and strange visions alleged to have been seen in the colliery. This was the talk of the neighbourhood previous to the sad occurrence and was the subject of conversation among the workmen before going in on Monday morning, several hours before the disaster took place. It's further alleged two or three weeks ago several workmen left the pit because of these visions which they regarded as presentiments of coming evil. A month after the 1870 disaster a thorough investigation began to determine the cause of the tragedy. The subjects of ghosts naturally came up. The following report records how the workers had asked for an inquiry into the strange events prior to the explosion. It said, One singular incident was related to the cause of the inquiry. Some short time before the explosion, the men asked for a thorough inspection of the mine. Several of the witnesses were questioned as to the reasons of this request. The answer was that the men thought that there were spirits in the mine. Strange sounds had been heard, and it was believed that something would be seen at the bottom. In short, an impression prevailed that the mine was haunted, and that an inspection would put the spirits to flight. The ghostly activity continued for many years afterwards, and in 1896 an explanation as to their identities and number was reported. Morpher colliery has been infested with restless spirits for about a week. They are supposed to be six in number, and to be the ghosts of some miners who were killed in an explosion. They make their presence known by wailing and knocking all over the underground workings. These diversions, it is said, they vary by the singing of dirges and the roll of muffled drums. Morphocholery has long since closed, but paranormal activity is still reported in the area to this day. While the stories of the ghosts which haunted the mine in the nineteenth century remain unexplained, one thing is certain. Real or not, the belief in them certainly saved the lives of some of the men working there. Chislehurst Caves, an old hill in Bromley, has long been rumoured to be haunted by a selection of ghosts. These range from a woman drowned many years ago in a pool situated deep in the tunnels, to a cavalier, a horse, a woman pushing a pram a druid, a spectral imp, and a black dog. These caves are believed to have been dug initially to find chalk and flint back in 1250. However, they could be much older than that. These caves go on for about 20 miles and are packed full of mysterious passageways and caverns. The mines in the caves were last used around 1830, but they've played various roles since then. They've been used as a tourist attraction, concert venue, Air raid shelter, ammunition depot, and mushroom storage. Today it's used as a tourist attraction again and as a location for films and shows, including Doctor Who and Merlin. These intimidating caves have seen a lot of supernatural activity. The reports seem to centre around poltergeist activity, such as locks being thrown around, cables being torn from the sockets, and chalk being thrown at visitors. One of the most infamous ghosts of the caves at Chislehurst is that of a white lady. Her apparition has been witnessed rising from the pools and floating down its seemingly endless tunnels. Her spirit is believed to be tied to the location where she met her tragic end at her husband's hands. The bones of a woman were discovered here back in the 1940s, but this has done little to stop her malevolence. Another spirit known to haunt the caves is a young girl who reportedly died during a partial cave collapse in 1939. Her spirit and several other child spirits are known to throw things at visitors, and giggling and weeping can be heard coming from dark, empty corners. Stories like these can be found in a multitude of different locations. Situated in the western Cambrian Mountains, for example, approximately 11 miles from Aberystwyth on the A44, is a silver-rich lead ore mine, primarily from the 19th century, known as the Silver Mountain. By 1973, the mine was derelict, but since then the current owner, after years of careful work, has restored its once dark and forgotten underground tunnels for future generations to explore. With rumours and sightings of spectres of long-dead Victorian miners walking the tunnels, This is certainly not a place for the faint-hearted to explore. You may know the city of Nottingham best for its story of Robin Hood and legends of nearby Sherwood Forest. It is, however, a city also with a secret. Below its shops, restaurants, houses, malls and pubs, lies a hidden world of more than 500 caves and tunnels dug through layers of soft sandstone. They tell a story spanning hundreds of years from medieval monks to King Henry VIII. The first reference to the labyrinth beneath Nottingham dates back to the 9th century when the area was named the place of caves. The name was given to the town by a traveling monk who encountered a local population living inside the caves. Some 1,200 years later, this name could still apply, with some of the tunnels lying beneath surprisingly modern establishments. A labyrinth of tanneries, air raid tunnels and slum housing, the oldest section of the city of caves date back to the 4th century. Early inhabitants dug into the soft sandstone to create a cosy place to sleep. Temperatures in the caves stay a constant 16 degrees Celsius year-round, By the 15th century, people were no longer living underground, but the caves had taken on a second life as cesspits, used for fertilising the city's farms and supplying the tanneries with waste for the leather-making process. The city of Cave's tannery, the country's only underground tannery, might have also saved Nottingham from one of the history's darkest periods. The town was one of the few places in Britain to remain free of the plague, and it's believed the tannery caves prevented rodents from nesting and breeding within the area. The caves' life-saving abilities didn't end with the plague. As a manufacturer of ammunition, Nottingham was severely bombed during World War II. Ideal for absorbing the impact of bombs, 86 of the caves were converted into air raid shelters. Sandstone caves saved thousands of lives. With over 1,000 years of history, They've had a reputation for strange sounds and sights for years, earning the reputation as one of Nottingham's most haunted locations. In Carmarthenshire lies some unique gold mines established 2,000 years ago by the Romans and have been continuously mined ever since. For a long time locals thought the mines were caves. One of the mines has a local legend attached to it. It speaks of a woman who used to bathe in the water in the mine. It was reputed to have medicinal qualities and to be particularly good for rheumatism. One night, the woman disappeared under the water, and her body was never recovered. But on stormy nights, it's said, she can be seen in the mist above the entrance to the cave. There have also been tales of a ghost known as Ned, a mine worker killed in an accident at the gold mine. An ancient legend is attached to a massive boulder at the mine, known as the Five Saints Stone. Standing very close to the mine workings, the stone has hollows or depressions on all sides and was probably used to break up the ore bearing stones from the gold mines. According to the legend, five saints were travelling to St. David's, a major site of pilgrimage in the Middle Ages. These mines had a reputation for sanctity and were objects of ill will to a wicked magician who dwelt in cabins nearby the magician had in vain tried to bring the five into his power. One day they happened to be passing the mines. Using black magic, he raised an awful storm of lightning, thunder and hail, which beat upon and bruised the saints, so that they laid their heads against the big boulder standing near them. But so great was the force of the hail, that it beat their heads into the stone, and as they moved round to each of the sides of the stone, So the magician drove the hail to follow them, leaving the impressions of their skulls on the surface of the rock. Finally he bore them away and concealed them in the innermost recesses of his cavern, and there they are sleeping, and will not awake until King Arthur comes. It is easy to see why mines and caves are the source of folklore, superstitions and possible hauntings. What is more terrifying and mysterious than being deep in the belly of the earth? In nothing but darkness. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye for now. If you like this podcast, there's a number of things you can do. Come and join us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Spread the word about us with friends and family. Leave a review on our website or other podcast platforms. To support the podcast further, why not head on over to join us on Patreon, where you can sign up to gain a library of additional material and recordings, and in the process know you're helping the podcast continue to put out more content. On a final note, if you haven't read it already, then you can find my piece In Search of the Medieval in Volume 3 of The Feminine Macabre, over on spookeats.com or via Amazon. Links to the book will also be in the episode description. Thank you everyone for your amazing support.